Hi everybody, my name is Lizzie and I'm your host for tonight. Um, Chris is, I don't know where Chris is, but wherever he is, he's having fun. I know he's still doing Palestine Declassified, but uh, I hope that he'll be back with us soon. But I'm glad that he's uh, doing something Im equally important. Oh, the entire world is going up in flames. Everybody's corrupt. If they're not corrupt, they're putting up with the corruption. What's that all about? We we hear things being normalised, that corruption's okay, that taking money uh, and, and not doing anything with that money is okay, except for putting it in your offshore bank account. You know, it's all fine. Carry on. Nothing to see here. So tonight we're going to be talking to Ben Timberley, who, who is the front man of Behind Labour. And we're going to talk to Ben about how he got involved with that, how his life was transformed by Labour twice, you know, once there and once back again. So if we could bring Ben in, please. Hi. Hi, Ben. Nice to see I you. I watched you on um, Crispin's show on the Wednesday, not the PMQs. Mm. And I was just blown away by the speed of your delivery, by the facts that you just dropped by the bucket load. <laughs> I'm, I'm well versed in, in the corruption within the government, but even I was trying hard to follow what you were saying because there's yeah. just so much information and everything's interwoven and connected and he knows him and she knows them so how did you get into that oh now there's a long story <laughs> so I'll, I'll try and uh, you know pace the delivery of facts and information tonight because it's um <laughs> one of the things i find difficult about this whole process is being able to communicate it effectively and steadily. And, and my story is exactly the same. Um, I got involved with Labour because I was fed up of corruption. Now, I got involved with Labour because I saw Jeremy Corbyn and thought, you know what, there's a guy that hasn't been bought. And it really frustrated me when I found that, you know, it's scratched below the surface in terms of the movement that he's put himself inside. And it's just as corrupt as everything else that we're, we're looking at. And I think the... I think you know behind Labour came about because I'd stepped away from everything. Um, I'd completely left the Labour movement behind. I'd, I'd had enough. You know, it it broke me, to be fair, in terms of the abuse that I was dealing with, the smears, uh, people going through my life, people contacting my employers, um, you know, online commentary, the bullying. It, it just got too much. It, it it absolutely kicked my butt. And after various things went on in my life, I thought. Okay, I've got a little bit of you know stability back. I've got a little bit of strength back. What can I do? You know, is there anything I can do to help? And um, I, I got chatting to Crispin one night because we've we've known each other for a little while now. Um, and he said, "I'm I'm starting a show on Wednesdays. Um, do you want a segment to do your thing?" And I was like, "What's my thing?" <laughs> and you know, he said, "You know that thing where you you get facts and you you give them to the public and you you let them make of it what they will." And I said, "Yes." And it, it sort of it started a bit of a roller coaster ride. We haven't been doing it long, um, but the the impact we've had, the, the the things we've talked about, have generated quite a stir, um, to put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> the I think the 
the feedback we've had from um you know leftists is this is great we need more of this um from the right wing it's been almost complete silence yeah how can we sue you uh, yes, that that has come up, <laughs> um, but the uh, the silence has been the most notable thing. You know, you occasionally get the odd snarky comment, but most of the time they're staying well away from it because they know that what we're doing is just bringing facts that are open source to the table. You know, we're not making anything up. Yeah, we might have some opinions that we express from time to time, like this is bad or this is good or you know whatever. But everything else that we bring to the table is uh, are just open source facts. And it is amazing what you can find if you know where to look and and what to look for. And I think that's the the key here. If you if you know what to look for, if you know what's going on in the game, if you are able to interpret what you see in the right way, you can you can build a narrative, you can build a story that most people won't be able to see. And one of the things that's that's really been surprising is we've been contacted by journalists um who say you know have this <laughs> and it's like really you're, you're giving us things to sort of add to the story and they're like yeah yeah here's a here's a nugget and that's been really surprising because a lot of these journalists can't break these stories their editors won't touch it um, yeah of course of course and that's really really frustrating because you there's a lot that i haven't been able to publish there's a lot that I haven't been able to say because we don't have the corroborating bits and bobs to go with those stories. But the the long and the short of it is, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about corruption and you know the world going to hell in a handbasket. Um, it's an interwoven system. There is a whole different class of people who think they are untouchable. Um, you know, they're in private industry, they're in the civil service, they're in the security services, the intelligence services, they're in government, they're in uh, politics, they're in local politics. You know, these people genuinely believe that they are there to rule, that they are there, you know, as some God-given right, that they are somehow better than us plebeians. You know, it, it's it's fascinating to watch these people do what they do and think they can get away with it and that's why that's why i started behind labor um because i just wanted to show people that the labor party is no different to any other political party you know the 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 things that go on in the tory party the things that go on in the lib dems the greens you know and others (laughs) are exactly the same as, as what's going on in the labor party it's not a tribal issue it's a a political issue as in the political system the political class the people that think they deserve to be in these seats are the problem. You know, they're often narcissists. They're often sociopaths. They're often psychopaths. They're not healthy people for the most part. And I think that says something about how these people almost sort of rise to the positions that they do. It's, it's like there's a, a, um, a winnowing process, assaying, where they're, they're selected and, and boiled out from the general mass of people. And, you know, anybody that's got, you know, <laughs> a wholesome bone in their body will look at the political situation and go, I don't want to be in that. I don't want to put myself through that. I don't want to put my family through that. Any good activist will tell you, you know, it, and I can tell you from my experiences, it's, it's harmful, you know, being involved in the political environment. Now you have to have money. You have to have powerful friends. You have to have knowledge. You have to have an understanding how, how the law works, how journalism works, how society works. And you, Otherwise, it's just dangerous to put yourself in those positions. And the, I'd say that the biggest lesson I've learned from starting behind Labour is that 
but this is going to sound really, really cynical. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I reveal. It doesn't matter what uh, facts we bring to the fore. And nothing will change. The, the, the Labour Party and any other political party that operates in the way that they do, they're, they're there doing exactly what they are meant to do. They are designed that way. And something new needs to come to the fore, a different way of working, a different way of doing politics, whether it's a case of you know facilitation rather than representation, whether it's a case of you know having a different sort of legal structures, different um, legislation that governs how this stuff is done. As it currently stands, any political party will have the same problems. And I think until people finally get to that point where on a wide basis, everybody understands that that's what needs to happen, that that change needs to take place. I don't think anything real will change because I've been seeing the stuff that I'm reporting now in Behind Labour ever since I joined the Labour yeah. Party. It, it, you know, it, there's nothing new here. This has been going on all the way through under Corbyn, you know, and, <laughs> and McNichol, you know, and uh, under Evans. It, it, nothing's changed. It's, it's all the same. The people at the top are different. The department heads might be different, but the, the systems and structures that are operating are exactly the same. And I, I don't see any real changes coming. What I do see, and I, this is the, the, the thing that gives me hope, is that I think people are beginning to recognise that there is, there is an appetite for change. You know, people, especially with the, um, the situation we're facing with um, cost of living, I think there is a, a strong desire for people to, to get involved in that and do something about it. Because that, that could be the, the new version of the poll tax in terms of galvanizing public opinion behind something that might actually enable normal people to stand up and change the system. But other than that, we're pretty short on options. Yes, we are. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I've been calling for a revolution and trying my hand at starting one for a few years now. Um, I think that this crisis of poverty is not a cost of living crisis, is it? It's a it's a crisis of the entire capitalist neoliberal system. You know, the thing is that we've been living this life since the Thatcher years and um, people of my generation were, were brought up to believe that you had nothing unless you could buy it. You didn't yeah. uh, borrow, um, so you didn't beg and you didn't steal. But now all you do is borrow, beg, and still, you know, that's all okay. It's all normalised, isn't it? It is. I think people have, have become inured to the idea that, you know, things cannot change, that this is the way that we must, um, you know, we must live and that we must practice being civilised, as we're supposed to be calling it. We, you know, I don't know how our society can call ourselves uh, civilised by, you know, when we've got homeless people in the street, when we've got people, um, you know, dying from preventable uh, diseases, when children are going hungry. I don't know how we can call ourselves civilised. The yeah. I'd say uh, the, the sort of epitome of my thinking at the moment, the, um, the place that I've got to is represented by a film I watched recently called Into Reflections. Uh, by a certain Peter Joseph. Uh, he's uh, the chap behind the Zeitgeist films. I'm um, sure Sean will be looking that up now so that she can add the link. If you could just repeat the name of it, please. Yeah, for sure. It's Into Reflections, the film is called. Um, and Peter Joseph has long been an advocate of alternative uh, societal systems, economic systems, that sort of thing, um, associated with the Venus Project and various other um, you know, 
uh, names and situations. You know, it, it, what he's spelled out in Into Reflections is that we live in a society obsessed with individualism, obsessed with, uh, you know, fakery and, you know, making things look like they're OK when actually they're not. Um, and it's it's a fascinating film. And I suggest that when people watch it, they do it about three times because <laughs> it will take a while to, to take things in and really understand what they're saying. Um, bit like, then, bit like one of your presentations on Crispin's show. Pretty much. You have to watch much. that three times <laughs> before <laughs> that, that, you can even start to get into it. That's it. And that's why I'm glad uh, Crispin videos them and, and posts them on YouTube because it allows us to actually um, you know, stand a chance of, of being able to download what's in there. And I do publish things on uh, Twitter. I'm a little bit behind on it at the moment because uh, life gets in the way, but I, I will be sharing everything I can on Twitter um, at Behind Labour. So it's easy to find us. Um, that's a question that people do ask who funds you. So yeah, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yes, yes, it would um, be bloody lovely, frankly, if yeah. somebody gave me some money for doing what I do. Yeah, but I've, I've got, got no to money. hold down a job as well. Yeah, I, I I run I run two companies. Um, you know, I'm self-employed. Uh, I do this in my spare time as a hobby. Um, I, you know, nobody funds what I do. I, you know, uh, Crispin uh, doesn't give me any money. You know, I, I volunteered this to do with he's him. He's always been a chancer like that. Oh, he's, he's a funny old boy. Uh, I've got a lot of time for Crispin. Yeah, he, he's he's built an amazing platform there, and you know, his his openness to alternative points of view from all sides. You know, his humanity and the fact that he actually sees the person first and the politics last you know that that's what we need more of this pluralism the idea that we can see things from multiple points of view and that's one of the reasons i agreed to work with him because i didn't want to just jump on any old platform and and deliver what it was that i was doing i you know, I stayed in touch with him because I knew at some point he would achieve his aim, which was to build that safe space for people to have a genuinely um, pluralistic political conversation, even if it's not from a left point of view. You know, he he's willing to you know give people that platform to you know allow them to discuss things that need to be heard, and I think yeah. um, you know that that's one of the the conversations we've been having regularly that there's not enough open conversation there's not enough um you know debate and you know sort of reasoned argument rather than just calling each other names you know actually being able to have those conversations and many years ago now it feels like another lifetime ago i was actually a trainer for momentum um i was delivering their persuasive conversations oh training. sorry sorry can't hear you over all the boos and hisses from i know Oregon. right <laughs> exactly yeah nobody's perfect and back back in the day when i was delivering that um, I found it fascinating um, going to Labour CLPs and BLPs and the, the differing uh, reactions that the training got. So some um, locations would be you know, very pro having open conversations and debate with people on the doorstep. Others would be like, no, if they if they don't agree with Labour's proposals, then we'll tell them that they're they're stupid they're wrong. And, yeah. and they're wrong and we'll leave them be and off we trot. And I was like, how how can you go through life thinking that you know it's, it's bonkers and it, it it fascinated me the difference in in terms of the people um that were there you know in those in that you could tell that they were from a different wing of the labor party compared to others um but what was most interesting as well i think was a lot of the 
the self-selected people who engage most, they were generally leftists. They were the ones that wanted to have that conversation. They wanted to win people over. It wasn't about going by the numbers and lobby groups and you know focus groups and things like that. It was about genuinely having a conversation, winning people over. Um, and dare I say it, taking a, a, a typically uh, sort of... Uh, Make your own jam approach like Jeremy Corbyn would, you know, you know, just speaking to human beings as human beings. And that I, I, I found intriguing. And I've tried to carry that through um, in terms of what I'm doing uh, with Behind Labour and, dare I say, in, in how um, I'm working with Crispin, because we've got some other projects lined up that I think are going to be interesting. Um, and I'm not going to steal Crispin's thunder. Far from it. No, no, don't. No. Let them have the big reveal. Um, yeah. But you know, he's got some amazing projects lined up that I think will attract a lot of people's attention and hopefully give people a way of doing something that really matters. Because I think that, uh, looking across the left now, there is a, a real sense of homelessness. People don't really feel like they've got anywhere to go. There's you know, there's a lot of possible options, but I don't think there's anywhere that people look at and go, yeah, that's a dead set. I can join in there. I can contribute and do things. And I think that that is... Um, that is absolutely one of the biggest problems we've got at the moment. And I know Crispin is is trying to do something in his very Crispin way of giving people a, a way to give back. And I can't wait to see what he pulls out of the hat with that. No, well, I first met Crispin when he in Liverpool. Yes, in I might have been in Brighton. We were, I, when it, when the world transformed first started, I was like the one of the media on it. So. Um, I went along to, I did go along to the first one he did um, of the Labour Grassroots Roadshow, you know, the, the comedy show, basically. Yep. And But the one in Liverpool, I specifically remember because they had this stripper on it and she was dressed as, well, she was originally dressed, then she was undressed as, um, was it Theresa May? <laughs> it was Theresa May. Can't remember what her name was now, but oh my god, it was that was that was a shocker. There's really. two phrases I, I I don't want in my head together: Theresa May what, and stripper. Theresa May and a stripper. Yes. Mm, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'd, I'd be very happy we, to avoid that. A, a lot of the people from Crispin's um, that particular one in Liverpool went on to all of them to do Britain's Got Talent. I think really? the following year. Well, some Simon Cowell show, whether it was Britain's Got Talent or another one wow. yeah strange isn't it well it wouldn't have been x factor would it because i think that's singers but anyway yeah. and, uh, that was uh, too long ago as well i think <laughs> <laughs> well and it was so what crispin did then was just bring a bit of brevity yeah. to the proceedings yes yeah. but also brought us all together and, and the acts that came on those shows were just ordinary people who happen to be funny who yeah. and the woman wearing her pre-marked coat i can't remember her name either i'm i apologize if you're watching yeah <laughs> but she was so good she was so good and she carried on a bag a carrier bag from aldi i think it was and wherever it was so but what he did was he brought us all together outside mm. of the labor party conference yeah and outside of the world transformed it was another thing and i think uh, you know 
I think that that was the start of his road. I never envisioned him doing this this uh, show, yeah. although when he first started, I suppose it was the the expected follow on because he did the um, he had all the comedians on and Rob Johnson, of course, singing and other yeah. people singing. I think he's had Joe Solo on there a few times. Yeah. So he, he's he's got a great platform and he's worked so hard on it and. I, I think you know he he deserves a lot more acclaim than he gets for what he's put together because it, it you know it hasn't been easy at all. He's he's had to sacrifice for it. He's had to put uh, you know huge amounts of time and effort into it. Yeah. And dare I say it, I think um, there is an element of uh, jealousy from some quarters in terms of what he's built. I also think there is an element of taking it for granted. Dare I say it? Because it, it's it's almost like it's been your your sort of your friend all the way through uh, lockdown, and it's just been there. And you know, it's like, well, of course, Crispin show is going to be there on a Sunday. When absolutely, that's not absolutely the case. I mean, um, as recently, he was he was ill for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and you know, the show couldn't go ahead. You know, he's he's the main uh, talent on there. You know, he's the host. It's his thing. You know, but in terms of you know getting the time and the commitment, other people have got jobs. Other people have got dependencies. They they can't contribute the time to to cover for him. And it it just shows that you know when one person who is very capable and very important to a movement has to step back for a bit, things often grind to a halt. And yeah. it's it's problematic when that happens. And I, again, one of the things we've been uh, talking about, Crispin and I, is. Yeah, you know, how do you build something that's that's wider, that's that's got a, a broader base, that has well, the self-sustaining as well. That's it. It's self-sustaining, and it's got the redundancies built into it to keep things moving. Um, <laughs> and I, I know he's got some plans in that direction, so it'll be interesting oh, to see what he comes up with. And and I hope that people <clears throat> begin to understand just how important that home that he's built is for the left, because at the moment, you know, again, it's 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 difficult to pull enough people together getting them off social media to actually take action and do different things to take the fight back to where it needs to be, which is against the Tories, which is against the Labour right wing, which is against you know, the Lib Dems you know, and, and various other factions in the world that are trying to undermine what it is that we're trying to achieve. And that fight needs to, you know, to be fought in earnest because we're losing in a bad way. Well, and it's, it's <clears throat> we're divided so easily. I mean, when you look at yeah. it, actually, I think that Crispin's show probably has a bigger audience than some of the parties that are that are getting going at the moment. You know, that 500 people is usual for the Sunday show. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think everybody who's on it is very appreciative of that space. Yeah. Um, but also... I said before, didn't I? There is there are so few people actually doing the work, you know. Well, let, let's put it this way: in terms of doing what I do, um, I th there's a few others that are doing this sort of stuff. Um, there, there's one notable Twitter account everybody should follow, and that is Operation Cupcake. Uh, if you mm -hmm. haven't followed that, absolutely do it. Um, I won't say more than that. That account, very, very interesting. You know, they, <laughs> they are sharing news like nothing else. But what, what bothers me is it, the level of knowledge it takes to really dig into this stuff, to, to understand what's really going on. It's military grade. 
I mean, um, yeah. what's his face? Um, Kit, let me remember his name. Bear with me one second. So there's a, a journalist fellow that I've um, become friends with recently, and I will find his name, who uh, where is Kit Clarenberg. That's it. Of um, What's his platform? Bear with me. I will find it. His platform is uh, the Grey Zone. And they oh have... wow, talking about the grey zone. <clears throat> well, that's yeah. our friend Max Blumenthal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so that's been smeared left, right, and centre, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. And I was talking to an American friend who's actually in the audience tonight um, on the show. I was talking to her about the grey zone. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's got a bad reputation, hasn't it? And I said, well, not amongst other journalists, it hasn't. No. Amongst other journalists, they are absolute legends. No. And, you know, I, I don't actually know Kit, but I do know Max. <clears throat> and I do know that he is he is absolutely passionate yeah. about telling the bloody truth. And Very he's true. in such a position due to his childhood, you know, obviously his dad was the advisor to Clinton, the, the male Clinton, not the female Clinton. Mind mm -hmm. you, his reputation's probably down the drain like hers now anyway, isn't it? Well, this, this is the thing. I mean, it, it, I, I don't think we, um, I think it's always unfair to hold people's, um, you know, heritage against them. And so I will, I will never do that. In, in this case, in terms of the work they've been doing, they are shining a light on pr what is probably the most important issue facing the left. And that is that we haven't just been fighting a war uh, against the media and against you know our political opponents. We have been fighting a war against intelligence services. Yeah. We use military-grade techniques, military-grade software, and military-grade connections in terms of undermining what we do. You know, it, yeah. it, you don't have to look far to find the evidence for this. The, the simple fact that, um, you know, uh, Sir Richard Dearlove, her, you know, the, the former head of MI6, otherwise known as C, you know, has been implicated in uh, a plot to, you know, uh, according to uh, Kit's writings, a plot to uh, not only take down Theresa May and ensure Brexit in the way that they wanted, but is also in, um, you know, uh, implicated in a plot to remove Boris Johnson right now, as in yeah. now. And what we see going on in the press and the media at the moment in terms of the, um, you know, the smears. Oh, it was a sudden turnaround, wasn't it? Very sudden. And, you know, that doesn't happen by chance. No, you know, that, no. That is a coordinated manoeuvre. And when you look at what was deployed against Corbyn and the left, uh, you know, activists of various kinds, that's when you know that this isn't just organic. This is real. This is somebody doing this. They're pulling the strings. That This is part yeah. of a plan. And when you know what to look for, when you see these things happen, you, you have to sit up and pay attention. And if you're not if you're not paying attention, you're not working hard enough. And that, that's one of the reasons why I started Behind Labour, because I saw these things happening. I thought, well, why is nobody else spotting this as well? The evidence is there. You know, if yeah. you go around the Internet, you can find it. You can piece together the narrative. I remember years and years ago, um, back when I was still in the party early on, there was a, an, a member of the NEC who had been invited to speak at ACLP. I won't say which one it is. Um, and I was relayed a story from one of the executive of that CLP, how one of their colleagues went outside for a cigarette whilst this uh, meeting was happening uh, and this NEC member was speaking. And outside was a black van. And out of this van were emerging lots of men 
in uh, security uniforms setting up listening equipment to yeah. the windows of this hall where this CLP meeting was happening and this NEC member was speaking. Um, and I won't say which organisation uh, was allegedly identified as being these people, but it had a three-letter acronym and it wasn't British. <laughs> so it, it, it kind of tells you that, you know, this has been happening for a long time. They have, the, we have been monitored as a movement. Yeah. And th this, this has historical precedent, you know, the CIA, the um, you know, Mossad, you know, and various other uh, organizations, MI5, MI6, they, they've been looking at us for a very well, long time. Well, the use of the propaganda from World War II, you know, and the, and the direct actions of, uh, you know, like it goes back to feudal, feudal land, doesn't it? You know, of yeah. the guys with the pitchforks who are, don't, don't, uh, don't get them to hate us. Get them to hate the other person with the pitchfork. They're going to That's steal it. your pitchfork. And, you know? Unfortunately, I think there has been a tendency on the left to be a bit naive about this. Yeah, and I, I don't say that with with distaste. I say it you know, with genuine sympathy in that you know we all got sucked into this whirlwind of positivity and hope that things could change and that we could have an honest person you know sitting in number ten you know sorting the country out. Well, um, we, we did nearly do it. Yeah, we, we very nearly did. Odds, and we very nearly did it. Absolutely. And it's, you know, there's a lot to be proud of there. But at the same time, again, I think we made so many mistakes and there were so many, you know, obvious, you know, naive obvious own goals. And it, yeah. Absolutely naive actions. I think the, yeah. you know, dare I say it, that there are now functions that should be put in place, you know, as a left movement that we don't have and that we do need and that you know certain people are working hard to bring about that will hopefully counter what we've we've been put up against and that involves having a left-wing intelligence unit that yeah. involves having you know left-wing security teams left-wing uh you know uh, media teams that are devoted to this not uh, from a uh, sort of a, a corporate enterprise for making profits or anything like that but literally as a movement working together to counter the, the threats that we face because well, it might they be are quite nice if we got a wage <laughs> wouldn't it wouldn't it it'd, it'd be lovely but it, this is the problem that, that isn't going to happen you know, no, no, no. no nobody's going to stump up the kind of money that we need and i think the the in terms of being a self-organizing citizen grouping or whatever we're going to be, we're going to have to find something that we can put into play because as it currently stands, we do not have the infrastructure. I mean, if you look at left-wing media, we're disparate, we're split, we're you know, coming from different angles and you know, we're wholly incapable. You could also say, though, that we're covering different topics and each of us yeah. have our own speciality and we all bring yeah. what we can together mm. so that I always say to people, you know, get your news from several different independent sources yeah. and then make your own mind up, mate. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I remember there was a while ago a um, collaborative effort between various um, left-wing uh, functions. I don't know if it's still going. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but I know the Canary, um, Squawk Box and a few other uh, titles were you know, heavily involved in that in, in terms of trying to you know, have a, a group effort to represent each other, to you know, have the stories running Thank correctly. Thank you very much for bringing that up. <laughs> That's the Independent Media Association, of which I'm a partner. There we are. And there we are. Yes. So there are about 58 of us now, I believe. Right. And we, we, we cover we cover all sorts there are many multiple platforms 
there's a union side to it there's two people covering unions Fantastic. two platforms covering unions there's uh two platforms covering extinction rebellion jso or yep. insulate britain as it was known there's and then there's all the all the ones there aren't that many now covering labor politics and, and I'm not sport box and occasionally the canary but i'm not too sure it's only just steve topple when he's in a bad mood decides <laughs> to out decides to out starmer for something <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, uh, and yeah it's so crucial that that exists because i think you've got to have an element of coordination you've got to have a um, i wouldn't say a supernatural uh, national body but a you know a way of um helping everybody to to not uh, overlap to not waste their time covering the same issues to make sure that everything gets the attention it deserves the biggest problem and this is the one that i see every single time with every single platform across the whole uh, smorgasbord, board is the lack of reach well of course because nobody's paid so um and and, uh, and one thing that uh we do at the ima is um pay for facebook um uh, you know like buffering promoting our facebook promotions and i'm really averse to that you know i've spent mm. seven eight years uh yeah. building up building up my platform my news websites um against facebook using mm. their algorithms against them yeah. and i'm really averse to giving money to such a corporate entity you know to promote our work which it's a bit like um, I'm trying to think. Is it Reach? Yes, Reach. The uh, the people who deliver your newspapers now. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a conglomerate, and what they did with the Morning Star was they took all their copies that they were supposed to distribute, and they put say five thousand in Harrods and two in Liverpool. So of course, if you wanted to buy the Morning Star, you couldn't, and you wouldn't want to buy the Morning Star if you were in Harrods or in Knightsbridge. Mm. So obviously they were returned. So yeah. it really looked like the Morning Star had no had no circulation whatsoever. They did yeah. it again with the word. They uh, they dumped them all by <laughs> in a field. They dumped <laughs> them all in a field. So I mean the word has got over that now, and it's now producing their newspaper online. But you know, and print media. Hmm you know it's going out of it a bit isn't it so and i, I think this, this is where again uh on on the left as a uh, a wider movement we've had problems you know there, there's been a, a real lack of awareness about how algorithms work about how the technology behind this works about the systems about the law and you know how it is that we we get out there and and, and win that media fight and i, I remember <laughs> this is interesting actually um i broke a story yesterday um you know in basically an investigation that Squawk Box had started um, yeah. all about um, what was going on with the Ford report and the Ford inquiry. Um, I, I may have published something last night that's gone a bit viral today. Um, and my phone's literally been going off the hook with this all day. Um, I was going to liken you to Martin Ford, actually. I really? <laughs> he's, supposed to be, he's supposed to be exposing the facts, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> who knows <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get sued so i'm going to keep my mouth shut yeah yeah, yeah but in, in terms of i don't of, care i've got nothing sue me 
<laughs> me neither, sadly. But in terms of the you know that that story that um, I revealed that a couple of consultants have been associated with the Ford report. And I'm not going to say more than that. Everything's on Twitter. Take a look at it on there. You'll see it. Um, but in terms of one of the tweets that came out of that, I found really, really interesting. And that was um, basically the, the the chap in this, um, you know, uh, one of the two consultants featured in, in this uh, article. Um, he was basically um, liking tweets where right wingers were saying, beware the hashtag change or uh, change the media or we are the media. And they were saying, you know, avoid these hashtags. Anything you can do to attack people who are promoting this hashtag, please do it. Because they were very aware that the the idea of the left taking over the narrative was extremely corrosive to what they were trying to achieve. And I, yeah. I still think that that holds weight. And I think, you know, we, we shouldn't forget that controlling the narrative, changing who gets to speak about things is hugely important. And, yeah. you know, the the awareness of how hashtags work, the awareness of how to build that reach, um, you know, that that is that that's massively powerful knowledge. And I don't think we're good enough at sharing that. I think there needs to be more education on the well, left. Well, I, I give lessons on that and um, I get asked to speak at loads of places to, to just that's give them. Um, we won an award for the uh, best social media because we that's what we do and we talk about neuro-linguistic programming as well which is yeah. not used for a good for a good end game uh, yeah. within the media it's used to place uh, people they don't want to to be talked about in in the bad in in a bad light mm. um, you know like uh, Jeremy Corbyn with the when they uh, Photoshop the hat, the Russian hat yeah. on him in front of the Kremlin. <laughs> you <laughs> know, and and you think, well, how ridiculous is that? And and the shot of him uh, in an IRA funeral, mm. um, wearing shorts and a shorts and a shirt when everybody else was in overcoats. And it's <laughs> like, can't you see that's that's Photoshop? You can't, can't you see that's Photoshop? But people can't. People no. can't. So, yes, no, can't. you have to take control of the hashtags. And as soon as you get that hashtag trending, then just that's going to all sorts of people that you wouldn't ordinarily hear. And Absolutely. another thing with Facebook <clears throat> is even if it's your post, go and like it wherever you've shared it. Well, not just like it, actually. Don't like mm. it. Hate <laughs> it or wow it or love yes. it. Anything. It. <laughs> yes, because... Yeah. Facebook is all about emotional reactions and interaction. Mm. So go back to that post. After you've liked it, your own post, it will notify you every time someone comments on it. So you go so, back to that group and then you interact with that person. Spe speaking of hashtags, there is going to be a hashtag appearing in the near future that um, I want everybody to pay attention to. And it, it will be published on the Behind Labour Twitter account. Um, and it's an investigation that we've got going. Um, my team have come into some information about the Labour Party um, that stands a pretty significant chance. If the if the Labour um, the data breach, the data leak that happened uh, doesn't do it, this will. Um, and it's essentially about wholesale embezzlement. Yeah. Of party funds. And I'm not going to say more than that because I don't want them to get. You don't need to window. say more than that because we <laughs> all know exactly. Yeah. 
and what's it, happening. It's the people that don't ordinarily watch this show. Some people yeah. won't won't watch it for for reasons they've already been propagandized uh, against a uh, resist because we've been um persecuted. Me. oh no no it was not persecuted <laughs> that's not the right word is it proscribed that's it yeah i think the, <laughs> i, I think the, the, there is a um a tendency you know across all sectors you know if you are told not to speak to somebody then you absolutely won't in many cases i you and i neither of us subscribe to that i i believe mm -hmm. that yes you know, sometimes there, there will be situations where you, you want to be careful about how you present yourself you know, on certain platforms. But I think it's always, you know, you, you should never sit. I'm not going to uh, say I'm not going to talk to somebody. You absolutely should, because communication is what keeps us going. That is how we grow. That is how we exchange ideas and develop yeah. things. And you know, I, I think I think it's important. Well, and if, we, if we only just talked to that young man who was talking about the Muslimic ray guns, you know, on that viral <laughs> viral yeah. video um, of Tommy Robinson followers. You know, <laughs> the thing is that, yes, it is the 99% of us are all being screwed. We're all mm. being screwed. Whatever mm. we think our politics is, everybody actually is a socialist. They just don't know it. Don't we all just but want... It's, it's interesting. I, I think... Um that point you just made there i find i find it fascinating speaking to a lot of um folks who consider themselves right wing because um you know i've had conversations across the country with people who you know uh, say they follow tommy robinson who are massive boris fans who um you know say they support this person that person on the right and i was sitting there and go okay tell me like the top 10 10 things you think need to happen uh, you know for for good change in this country and I would say eight out of ten of them, generally, I'll sit there and go, yep. Yeah, NHS, socialist, social housing. That's it. I'll say, as a socialist, I Good totally wages. agree with those things. And, <laughs> and the, jobs. That's it, exactly. And the Everybody names is, the same things. It's the solutions, not the problems that we differ on. So yeah. um, if they, uh, you know, for example, social housing, you know, lots of pe um, people on the right sit there and go, oh, you know, social housing shouldn't happen because it will be given to people who don't deserve it. And then you, you told me well, that, yeah. Exactly. You don't deserve it. <laughs> exactly, and it, it's it's a lie. It's simply a lie that's okay. been created by um, you know right wing media and various pundits who want to make a name for themselves by saying extreme things. And mm -hmm. it, it's that tendency which has corrupted the media. It's corrupted politics, amongst other things. And I think there is a a real problem with and I dare I say it, the left is mirroring this by being incredibly tribal towards people who just want to have a conversation. They want yeah. to feel like they're part of something and they yeah. don't want to be told that they're stupid or that they're wrong. Cause often they're not, it's yeah. just, they don't know how to communicate what it is they're feeling or the, the concepts that they're talking about. And most of all, they're not equipped to be able to suggest solutions. Cause if, 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 if I, as a socialist speak to a right winger and say, what do you think we should do about this? What do you think we should do about that? And then castigate them for not having the expertise to be able to formulate a, a suitably complex and you know cohesive response. That's just classist nonsense. Yeah, it really is, and unfortunately, I think there is there there are far too many folks who would consider themselves socialists. You know, using that as a, a way of approaching things, and it's not on. We we can't do that. No, no, we can't. No. Well, I don't know if Sean's about. Have we got any questions, Sean? 
Hello, oh. I'm here. I'm here. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, I want I want Ben to spill the beans. Come on, give us some tea. <laughs> so, I, I I have to be very very careful with what I say these days for various reasons. Um, there will be come uh, an announcement in it in the near future as to why, but I can't say more than that. Um, what I can say <gasps> is. <laughs> yeah, it killed just... me. I need the gothic. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> it, yeah, it, 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 is, it is literally one of those. I, mind labor. <laughs> I, I, I want to say more. I really do, but I can't on that front. But what I can do, but what I, the gossip I can give is the data that, and that I was mentioning earlier that we, we've come into about wholesale embezzlement. We think we found a way of showing that the organization of the Labour Party, you know, what it actually is itself, is institutionally corrupt. As in, we, we, we think we might be able to prove it to a legal standard. Without any need for the Labour leaks file, the uh, Ford report, yeah. the... Yeah. Exactly. But we all we all we all know this, don't we? We all have this gut instinct, and and we know that this is the case. Um, you know, uh, Keith Starmer didn't just come on board willy nilly. Who happens to be in the Trilateral Commission? Who happens to be very good friends with Richard Dearlove and MI5 and the CIA and all those three letter agencies? You know, yeah. it, it's not happened by accident, has it? You know, yeah. we don't and have Mandelson and Blair Brexit as well. Who uh, uh, Starmer? Or... Oh. <laughs> well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> there you because... go. Well, one minute is an arch remain and next minute is a a closet Brexiter. And you, you just, you know, it, it's complete chameleonism. Nobody knows really where he stands. And that's the way he likes it. Well, I have a bit of gossip for you, uh, Ben. I was doing some research a few years ago for um, somebody who was standing in our constituency to okay. become the local MP. And um, the, the current uh, seat holder is Sir Graham Brady. Um, who is the chair of the 1922 committee. Ah. So I started digging around in his um, uh, donations on, on his, um, whatchamacallit. Okay. What, what's the list that, that's online where they have to show all their donations? I can't remember what the list is called you, now. But... Are you talking about the, the, on the Electoral Commission website? Um, I can't remember, but it's 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 the register where they, all the MPs have to register all the donations. Yes, so right. I was... Yeah. Register yeah. of interest. Yeah, so I was doing some digging around and I saw quite a few donations from this guy called Mr. Brown and I thought this looks a bit iffy. So I did some fishing around as to who this Mr. Brown was and he was the chair of um, a committee called the Midlands Industrial Committee, MIC. And in that committee is uh, the... Um, Bamford, Lord Bamford, and several other very large uh, company sort of CEOs and millionaires from around the country. Now, um, so I did a bit more digging, as you do, and uh, I found an article that uh, I think it was on, I think Greenpeace did the article, and they had found out that um, the, Mid the Midlands Industrial Committee had funded um, Graham Brady, um, um, what's his name? Fox. What's his first name? Liam Fox. Fox. Liam Fox and Nigel Farage to join them on board um, a private 
no, it wasn't a private, it was on a cruise. So they paid for them three to go on a cruise so that they could discuss Brexit. Um, So, um, you know, and this was, this was years ago, you know, probably going back to 2014, 20, probably even earlier. When when was the vote for Brexit? I can't remember, was it? Uh, I think that that was um, 20... 16 it had to be because um yeah. jeremy corbyn didn't become leader until 15 did he like that's 15. right that's right so yeah. it will have been around 2015 2014 and they, and they did this a couple of times so um they were already plotting um with these illustrious businessmen and lords uh, um how to um fiddle brexit so they weren't plotting, it was a strategic plan. They were meeting, yes. That's yeah. interesting because uh, Kit Clarenberg's uh, leaks, uh, the documents that have been leaked to him and uh, the Grey Zone, um, they actually talk about, um, you know, they show and evidence the conversations that Sir Richard Dearlove was having with the other people in his cabal. Uh, and it was around that time. That they were doing. Yeah. And they mentioned. Probably um, Charlie I, leaked those papers to them. <laughs> no, 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 not guilty. Possibly not. And, and, and what was interesting is that the, the conversations they were having at that point were mentioning Nigel Farage as a potential lead negotiator on Brexit and various other people because they wanted to control that narrative. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if there were links between you know that group of people and that situation that you just described, Sean. That wouldn't surprise um, me at all. Yeah. I, I think. One of the most noticeable things uh, that's happened around Labour specifically is this constellation of limited companies and LLPs that stay outside of the electoral barrier. And um, I did a show on on this uh, topic a little while ago because it was so dry. It was one of the quieter ones, but it was incredibly important. And this is what most people don't realise about politics in the UK. If money crosses the threshold into a political party, it has to be declared on the electoral register as an interest. So it's a, it gets classed as a donation. If that money does not cross that electoral um, threshold, that boundary, and, for example, one company just pays another, it's a completely private transaction. So if, for example, that limited company or LLP is doing work on behalf of the party or on one of the interests of the party or one of the donors of the party, it's completely invisible. Yeah. Nobody can see it. Nobody can talk about it. Nobody can say anything about it. And if uh, if you cast your minds back um, to the headlines that happened around the uh, Labour Together scandal, where, you know, um, I think um, the, the last tally I did was around £1.3 million had been put through Labour Together in donations from notable individuals. And those donations, um, the only reason um, they fell afoul of the law was, and from what I can tell, it looks like they forgot that at the beginning of this organization's uh, genesis, when it was first founded, they donated around three three grand to the Labour Party. And I think this was for uh, the Remain cause in terms of promoting Remain. And then that organization was, was grabbed, it was yanked, and they changed the purpose of it and it became Labour Together. And they had forgotten, I think, that they had registered it with the Electoral Commission. And all this money is pouring into this private limited company, you know, owned by a couple of, uh, you know, um, how should we say, uh, background people in the Labour Well, they were, well, they was, well, it's public record, so you can name them. I know one of them was Luke Akehurst. He was the other one. I can't remember his name because I did some research on that as well at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it, it, in terms of these people, they, um, you know, th this money was donated into Labour together and they completely forgot that they had to declare it, which is why they got fined, which is why it made headlines. But that's the only reason we knew about it is yeah. because they, they, they messed up. They made a mistake. They completely forgot that they registered with the Electoral Commission. That it's they not should surprising be that UKCast made a mistake. Now, this is the thing. If that what that's one point three million pounds worth of donations over the period of about three or four years that's gone through one satellite company, how much other money is going through other satellite companies that we know nothing about? Yeah. He's a Quaker, isn't he? Yeah. There's there's so many though. Um yeah. I mean I I'll have to share this um map that I did with you, Ben. Um Please do. I, I did it on the um it was about all the anti-Semitism smears and who was involved with that, where the money was coming from, who it was going to. And it was a lot of the advisors that were behind MPs that were all involved with this. You know, Luke Akehurst, his several organisations that he has and um, yeah. the links that he has and, the you know, the money coming from... Um, Peter Mandelson was one. There was another guy who's worked with Peter Mandelson that I can't remember his name of now. He was a big donor. Um, then there was, um, oh, wish I had my map in front of me now because <laughs> we could have gone through it. Um, but it's all there and it's all in your face. You've, you've, yeah. you've just got to look for it. Yeah. So do we I mean, have any questions, Sean? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I got carried away, didn't I, with my gossip. Um, we... I'm we sure, have... from the looks of it, the audience found it fascinating anyway. They're all like, 2016 was the Brexit vote. <laughs> um, so Diana says, um, we are facing the rise of fascism with the West, including our government, working hard to support the fascists in Ukraine. What is the history to this and where can we find it? Oh, that's a good one. Um I think that the place I found the most interesting history um, regarding liberalism and fascism in the West is NATO. If you look at the the key people that um, took the, the key positions in in the first iterations of NATO, most of them were former Nazis, <laughs> and you sort of go, well, why they why have they been put there? And I one of the things I have in um, one of the things I say, sorry, in polite conversation around dinner is. Unfortunately, you know, fascism wasn't defeated in in Europe. It just changed tactic. Yeah, it it, it changed where, where it went, how it went. It, it went through the money. It went through um, you know high society. Mm -hmm. You know, they created these secret organizations, these supranational organizations, and they diffused. They used a decentralized strategy rather than an overt military conquest strategy. Mm -hmm. And it, I think we we have to be very naive to think that we beat them because we really didn't and no. now what we're seeing is certain organizations with three letter acronyms that you know have uh, all sorts of interests in um you know uh, large vaccination programs that have uh, interests in sort of um you know political uh, sponsorship programs and various others uh, with um a lead figure whose father was a nazi Absolutely. Um, I'm just reading a book. Um, I'm listening to it on Audible, actually. It's called Operation Paperclip. Yes. If you've heard about that. Yeah. yeah. 
that that was about um during the second world war when um the americans came in and they started picking up all the scientists the nazi scientists mm. and moving them over to america and embedding them into their three letter agencies um it's very interesting uh, yeah. so i would recommend that book to anybody um the i think um asa win stanley's done a lot of work on nato and uh fascists so um i would have a look on electronic intifada diana and uh, and see I'm, I'm pretty sure ace has done a, a quite a good article on that um tatiana also says uh sorry to hear what you've been through with the personal attacks and bullying the polarized and polarizing toxic culture online makes truth telling a personal minefield and i've been through that myself as well ben yeah it's it it, it cost me dear um you know in 2019 i lost everything pretty much you know my entire world collapsed and that was contributed to in a big way by what i experienced within the labor party um i, I haven't told anyone uh, me yeah. too i lost my job it's a shame bless you yeah. i feel for you uh, i mean I, I had people contacting my employers yeah I, I had people uh turning up at my house knocking on the windows um but i think the thing my that... friends had a car firebombed outside her house oh, really God for telling the truth oh she I mean, was only speaking out about poverty and food banks yeah i mean the, the the thing that really got me was the the paranoia that i developed um that i, I you know i've had therapy to cope with that because yeah. i had evidence you know as in hard proof that i was being um witch hunted shall we say yeah. by some very powerful people um near where i was living in derbyshire and beyond um who were literally scouring the internet for anything they could find out about me um emailing each other via personal email address and these were labor party staff elected officials and various other people all communicating and what really worried me was that my name was blacklisted before i even turned up in that area yeah you know i i, I contacted uh, my local labor party uh, in derbyshire to say hello i'm a new labor member i'd like to come and help you know do you want some leaflets delivering you know what can i do they told me we're not really bothered about having your help but you know you know uh, turn up to a meeting see what happens and i was like okay that's a weird response and from the sar i did the subject access request i saw the emails that had been flying about going this guy's turning up what's his politics you know who's who's he with who's he associated with who's you know, what's his background i was like none of you know me yeah you've never yeah. met me why are you doing this and you know I, I make no secrets of it i um i joined the lib dems for a while mainly because i wanted to deal with tony blair you know i was literally who who can i campaign with in my area <laughs> in north Africa? yeah who do you turn to when the labor party's <laughs> got tony blair leading it or blair, exactly so him. back back then I, I joined the lib dems on an anti-corruption ticket and in northamptonshire i had my hands full because northamptonshire is a uh, an interesting place once you scratch below the surface wow. and when i stepped away from them in, in these emails i saw that these people had done a full background check on me and again, I was nobody. I was just a random bloke who, you know, yeah. uh, knocked around with the Lib Dems for a bit, had, you know, been an anarchist for a while, had done this, been on a few protests, this, that, and the other. Nobody special. And they had they had absolutely gone for me. And I couldn't understand why. And then I found one email um from a person that I had spoken to, uh, who was an informer. 
you know, yeah. I, I'd said, you know, I'd, I'd like to try and sort of become a counsellor. And you know, you know all about that, don't you, Sean? And and yeah, the, the, I was in I was in the Sunday Times and the Sun and on the BBC News and yeah, it was all lies and I could prove it, it was provable lies. Yeah. And that was information that was stolen by um, our friend Sam Matthews. And I will say his name till the ends of the earth. And he wants to sue me. Come and sue me. Um, that, I would great. love you to take me to court, mate. Now, um, here's some gossip for you on him, Sean. Um, go on. When uh, everything was at its height in terms of the paranoia and the abuse, um, I had a strange person contact me on, on Facebook who declared himself a personal friend of sam matthews and he said we know where you are wait for it we're coming for you yeah and did you report that to the police no, i was too terrified at the time i was in yeah. i was in a bad way i was i, I was literally i didn't oh, trust I, anyone I, I i understand I, I you know i i was suffering really badly with agoraphobia i couldn't even go out i couldn't answer the phone i couldn't go out the house couldn't do anything um so yeah to totally totally know where you're coming from on that bed um lizzie have we got time for just one last question from terry deans i think so yeah uh, terry um one. yeah so um he says Hi, since terry <laughs> since when did anyone think Labour was not institutionally corrupt like any of the mainstream parties all wedded and committed to the establishment imperialist agenda I think he sums that up very well yeah I, I think um, yeah, kudos to, uh, to Terry for pointing that out I mean my view on this is that instead of weaponizing just anything i think what what was weaponized against the left most effectively um by the labor party was hope yeah and in terms of being institutionally corrupt yes the labor party absolutely is and i think we all knew that um it was that case under blair and in that period i think what we hoped was that um corbyn and the various people around corbyn and the unions would step in and do something to stop the rot. You know, um, Miliband sort of opened the door and, you know, the left went through it. And there was a hope that someone somewhere would light a fire and burn all the rot out in a, in a quick point. Like I said, and, though, we nearly did do it. Uh, on, in terms of votes, yes. But in, in terms of party infrastructure, the rule book, oh, everything no. like that, we not didn't a chance. Stand a chance. We, we were a I million miles at, away from it. I was at Jeremy Corbyn's launch of his NHS um, policy. And that was absolutely horrific. It was yeah. he was completely taken out by mainstream media talking about the Virgin Gate. Do you remember yeah. Richard Branson complaining about him, Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. not sitting on the floor in the corridor? Well, I mean, it, um, I mean, well last of, word to you. The, to Terry's point about the um, establishment of imperialist agenda. Um, in terms of the Labour Party, you know, me and my team have actively identified people we believe to be spooks. Yeah. You know, they, you know we, we know they're active, you know, and you cannot win when your your constitution and rule book are one and the same thing. And that rule book and that constitution are controlled by the, the national body, the NEC. That, that, you know, there's, what's the point in having a constitution if you've got a group of people that can be coerced and controlled to change it? It's complete yeah. nonsense. You know, the yeah. uh, any party built on that basis stands yeah. no chance of actually standing for anything. And it, my, I'd say my last point on this would be: Why do we bother? You know, chasing a dream, a hope of something, 
only to have it continually dashed and our you know our hearts wounded by this activity when we know that that there's no chance of what we're trying to achieve can ever happen with an organization like that as i said at the beginning we need something new we need something different that isn't a typical political party and that works in a completely different way to carry what we're trying to do forwards well, so everybody on that note, join the TUC demonstration strike on the 18th of June. And then we're talking about uh, coordinating an all-out strike with the next um, Extinction Rebellion in September. So get your And join thinking. Resist. Join the Resist movement. Big things are happening. And... Uh, We'll be uh, making some big announcements very shortly. And make sure you follow Ben on Behind Labour and Crispin's show, which is the Not the Andrew Marr show on Sunday mornings and uh, Not the PMQs on Wednesdays. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Good night. See you next week.